This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So I, uh, I'm curious, this kind of goes back to something we talked about earlier. Um, you know, obviously you are probably pretty familiar with your own Delta Green work. And, you know, if you're, if you're forced at gunpoint to run a Delta Green game, which is unlikely, you know, I imagine you've got your own stuff you want to run. But, you know, if you, if you had a chance, you know, to run the, you know, the, the, the highest profile game Delta Green, you know, for some big wig or, you know, just for, for the most famous people you could think of, whatever, and it couldn't be one of your things, what would you run? Oh, probably, uh, I think probably Convergence or, you know, yeah, probably Convergence for the, the, the scenario you're describing there. Um, I, you know, I, I often run Future Perfect 1 as that, that's kind of my go-to intro adventure if it's not one of the things that I've written. But if it's something that we want it to be high profile and we want to really give people the the experience that first sold people on Delta Green, that would be Convergence out of the first Delta Green book and out of Unspeakable Oath 7. And that was one that started as a scenario for uh, Cyberpunk, didn't it? Well, what happened is, so John um, was John was doing the Unspeakable Oath, and there were some other people doing a Cyberpunk 2020 magazine called Interface. And um, and they they did like this... Uh, this uh, a cross magazine gimmick where there is going to be an adventure in the, a call of Cthulhu adventure in the unspeakable oath that John would write that would elements of which that would feed into the cyberpunk adventure that came up in interface shortly afterward. And so he wrote, he wrote convergence um, at first as part of that. And so the, the convergence was where he, I think that's where he came up with the what became proto matter. I don't think he called it that at the time. He might have. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But a lot of that stuff then became the subject of that cyberpunk adventure later. So it was like a body horror cyberpunk adventure. Um, but convergence is the one that everybody noticed. And uh, and well, yeah. So so the, so the adventure convergence is very much a it's very much a sort of an X Files uh, UFO. You know, there's UFOs reported, and your your uh, your federal agents are trying to see if there's anything they need to they need to investigate or cover up. You know, and you're in this this secret society called Delta Green, and it's this old boys club of uh, of uh, kind of vigilantes who are just trying to keep a lid on horrors. And that was that was the germ of it. Um, but it, you know, it ran brilliantly from the very first appearance. I mean, I ran it. I ran it out of the oath when it first came out, a year four years before the first Delta Green book appeared, and um, and it was, you know, it was it was a work of genius. You know, I had uh, even then I had players. You know, I've, I've told this story before, but I had a a, a a player that was a friend of mine in uh, college that was in my gaming group. And I ran that for them just, this is in 93. So it was right before I got married and moved across the country. So I came back and visit, you know, I came back for the winter, for the Christmas or whatever, and track, track, you know, my buddies down. And he, he told me that uh, he was still upset at me because after, after I ran Convergence for him, that's the only role-playing game he's ever played where he went home and had nightmares about the game. That's great. So that That's was, a great that place. Was a joy. Yeah. 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 
I, I don't think he meant that as a compliment, but, but I was determined to take it as one. You've inflicted real psychological trauma on someone using a robot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's uh, you know, that's that's what we all that's what we all strive aspire to. So uh, so yeah, that kind of that kind of a game. If it's going to be a high profile game, you know, if we were to get uh, if we were to get Joe Magniello, you know, or 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 uh, you know, if we were to get Chris Pernowski's friends that Dennis is all, is, is buddies with uh, in on a on a thing, then uh, then that's the one I would. Here, here's I would a question: Would you? Because one of the things that Arc Dream has been doing is taking all the old scenarios and like updating them to be in the present day, compliant with the new lore, whatever. Would you do mm-hmm. that with Convergence, or would you play Convergence as like the original X Files era Delta Green? Well, yeah, that's something that we have we have in the pipe. Um, coming up and uh and it's it's gonna it's gonna have to be a period piece um i thank you i mean there are yeah there are a lot of the a lot of the adventures would are pretty easy to just to relocate you know you i mean i i was gonna say reskin but it's a little more substantial than that the the adaptations that i have to do with them but convergence is one that i feel like absolutely has to stay a period piece that's the one that draws on the post cold war um the post cold war drama that all of us were steeped in at the time you know that's the one that draws on the ufo the ufo stuff that was really hot then and it kind of feeds on on all of the uh all of the kind of psychological problems that uh that that you know that those of us who were in our 20s back then especially had kind of grown up with and the UFO stuff is how a lot of people were were reacting to that. All of the conspiracy theories of the early '90s um, that started getting really ugly after, uh, you know, when when uh, Clinton was elected president. Um, all of the conspiracy theory nuts decided they were gonna, you know, they, they were gonna they were right wing conspiracy theory nuts now. So well, I mean, Waco um, didn't help. So the, yeah, Waco did not help. I'm not saying. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to give the the. the the idea that uh, that that I that I'm a fan of every choice Bill Clinton made because some of them were kind of catastrophic. But anyway, point being, convergence, yeah, convergence is convergence. I play, I would play. It's it's 1996, and here's what's happening. I always mean to ask this question every interview we do, and I always forget. What is something that you wish more people knew? It can be about Delta Green. It can be about anything, you know, arching related. It could be just in general, but I think that would be the most entertaining is is something that you wish more people were aware of. <laughs> wow. God, I don't know. I don't think anything really comes to mind. Is there a like question that. that you get a lot that about 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 any of your work or any anything of that nature? And the people write you letters of self-addressed stamped envelopes asking for the Delta Green <laughs> table of organization. I was gonna do this bit because you guys uh, at Arc Dream are one of like the more um, interactive and responsive like uh, RPG developers at your like particular um, scale. Like, because I remember, I remember when uh-huh. Dole was Dole was was a, a super interested in learning like very micro level details about um, Fairfield Pond and the cabin where Reginald Fairfield fought Aero oh, Delta for the last time. Yeah, this and is so the he, he goes and, thing. It's yeah, so and he goes. This is this this is like a, a sweet innocent child who wants to know from his his hero Dennis Detwiller. So he writes Detwiller, and Detwiller gives him uh, the answer, which I'm pretty sure he didn't like have written out in his head because it probably wasn't a detail that factored that hard into his decision making. But then Dole goes and he writes a scenario based on that. 
Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool. No, the, uh, well, the Fairfield Pond thing, um, I, I can tell, I mean, I can tell you this doesn't answer your question at all, but it's it's just a thing that I find curious. But, um, but yeah, no, Fairfield Pond got a lot of research and a lot of thought by all of us. So if Dennis got an email from somebody asking about Fairfield Pond, he didn't have to make any. Okay, so that, that was actually like, like, you know, yeah. straight from the, straight yeah, from no, the, there was all the kinds of, videos. oh, yeah. Yeah, and we uh, we gave them a lot of crap about it. We were like, "So, did you ever find out if if they use the hex drive screws or Phillips head screws on the door jam?" Because like, you know, <laughs> that's what we really need to know to make this scenario right. work. Quick, ask Dennis. Ask, okay, the, I want you to look at your character sheet and tell me what kind of screwdriver it says you have. <laughs> well, listen, it was important in the wire, and if it's important in the wire, right. that means it's a totally valid thing for players <laughs> in tradecraft to look oh, at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, you know, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I would say a thing that I would love more people to to know is, and I don't even know if this is something that I wish they knew, but as much as um, one thing that comes up often is is people get, some people are, get really concerned about playing the procedural trade crafty side of Delta Green when players and a lot of times the gm themselves but usually it's gms expressing concern about their players not knowing anything about that world and the players feeling like they're worried that their players are going to feel um intimidated or feel ignorant and or or useless you know what i mean and and not feel uh competent to describe characters that are supposedly steeped in that world yeah and um and so, you know, the, the question, the, the way that I always approach that from my perspective is, is, um, you know, I deal with that with my own players all the time, right? I've got, I've, I'm, I, it's, it's very rare that I have a group of players who know anything about the way the FBI works or, or about, you know, the, uh, or have even watched the Americans, right? Let alone read books about the CIA and the KGB. Um, so, but so my answer is always, um, you know, number one, relax. That that'll be okay, because number two, as the game master, you can kind of control how much you want to know about that world and how much you want to bring those things into play, and therefore you can use your knowledge and your perspective to essentially hold the players' hands and provide them with the details to flesh out. The decisions that they char- that they make for their characters without requiring them to know all that shit. And if they have a good time, they might decide they're into it and study up on it, and then start taking a more active hand. Or if they're just there to show up and play, you know, that's okay too. Um, but if you don't, if you're not into that world and you're not exposed to it, and you don't have the time to research it, then you know, I mean, we we provide as much as we could in the agent's handbook itself. So read that. And if you just use what's in the agent's handbook, you're going to be 90% of the way there. Um, and bear in mind also, most Delta Green adventures are not about FBI agents doing things with the FBI as part of their actual jobs. Most Delta Green adventures are about FBI agents going out and committing crimes and then covering their shit up. So um, so yeah, that's a thing that that uh, that comes up pretty often, and um, often enough that I feel like we didn't, we have not done a sufficiently good job of communicating that um, that it's it's really not that big a deal, you know. If you're if you're into it and your players are curious and want to play it, then go for it, and um, 
and hand wave all of that, all of those details uh, to whatever extent you want. You know, um, if if you if you have a good time, then you know if if you want to read books, there's loads of books. We have a big recommended reading list in the agent's handbook that'll give you a great grounding. Um, if you don't want to read books, then watch. You know, watch the Americans and True Detective and Breaking Bad and The Wire. You know, oh, and, Ozark uh, and Ozark, and it'll it'll sink in. You know, it'll start it'll 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 start seeping in, and uh, and you can start you can start ramping up those details to however much you want. So I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this when we talked to Gen Con on the air, but uh, a, a little point of pride in one of my games that that uh, Gen Con was afterwards. Two of the players, as they were getting up, you know, shaking hands, saying good day, they they said, "Hey, you know, we're we're both FBI agents, and it's clear that you like that you did a great job, and it's clear that you have some understanding of how this works, and that made it really fun for us." Yeah. As I said, like, normally we get pulled out of things to, a lot because we <laughs> right. you know, how it works, and I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I remember hearing about that. I don't, I don't think I met those two. I don't remember. I don't think I did, which they is were, a shame. I was really, I was really key, interested I think, in because it. Because they didn't yeah. want to be Oh, like, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, know, yeah. You know. Right, but right. It was funny. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, yeah. we, at Gen Con especially, we usually each year have two or three people come up that are kind of in that world. And they'll kind of, as an aside, you know, say, because they're trying not to make a big deal about it. But, um but yeah, we, we usually have two or three encounters like that, which is always a blast. You know, it's it's, it's so fun for us because, you know, the, we we weren't in that world, right? We're just we're doing this as spectators and researchers. So um, so hearing from people that are involved in all that that uh, that feel like it does a good job is is just that's terrific. And Kevin, thank you for running a good game for them. Obviously, what what's, I, I what try, game was yeah. it, Kevin? Um, I think it was Stop Repo, which is the one that wrote, got published in the Oath, um, and mm-hmm. it has a very, you know, there there can be a, a definitely an investigative bent, but the, the the players are often trying to keep the police off them, so they were they they commented that you know the way I ran the, the other police investigation was like they knew what the beats were going to be because it was realistic, which was great. Yeah. One thing that I I often run into both as a player and as a GM is that the thing the thing that always seems to become a, a debacle due to the the maybe the lack of of expertise and the first time maybe in a funny way and the the, the several times after that maybe not so much so is mm. um players trying to do any kind of interrogation mm. because mm-hmm. yeah uh, so sandy peterson when he was writing his advice for he, he did a cool really cool video on how he designs called clueless scenarios and he said that you must give your npcs a way to break off conversation. They must have a way to say, um, I am not going to answer every single question the players can think of to answer, to ask the NPC. And that's mm-hmm. great. The problem yeah. is that in Delta Green, you're playing guys who have a piece of paper and a right. heavy metal object that entitle them to imprison people for any length of time they desire and ask any question that pops into their head. And the players I mean, will... How about a gun or a badge when you say the heavy metal... The badge is a piece of paper, yeah. and if, it's, oh, if yeah. it turns out that it's actually made of metal as well, then um, okay. <laughs> metal metal is nature's paper. Uh, the what? Yeah. Well, I mean, even even without even without the, uh, I mean, and a lot of again, most most Delta Green games that I've run anyway, the players don't have any legal authority to do jack shit. But 
it, the, the point still stands because they're playing characters who are used to interrogating people and they're playing characters who may feel like they have enough at stake that they've got to bend the rules or break a kneecap. Yeah. And I guess we, we, we talked, we've talked about this issue several times in this show and I've noticed that, that, um, when I run the game, the players are kind of more realizing that that human beings are not walking clue dispensers, and that surveillance will actually mm-hmm. end up getting you a lot more than an interrogation most of the time. But I was wondering what mm-hmm. you do when when this this situation comes up in your games, because for for me, it can sometimes be very frustrating to have you know a two hours of a four hour session be dedicated to asking pretty much the same question <laughs> over and over again, and coming up with increasing levels of I hit the guy. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, I think there's a couple of things going on there. But the, uh, I mean, the way that, in a general sense, the way I approach portraying NPCs that the players need to get something out of uh, is um, I, what I enjoy most about playing any kind of NPC in any game is getting, is feeling my way into the NPC's head and playing what I feel like that character um, finds important or finds worrisome or care or, or scary or funny and, um, and playing that up as part of the interaction and as part of the conversation. And so if the players, you know, when, when players decide they're going to play hardball, then, um, and you know, then, then I, you know, I mean, I, I very rarely, I very rarely tell players you can't do that. Uh, instead, I'll just play up the fact that when people start getting interrogated, you know, when people start getting tortured as part of an interrogation process, it's terrifying and it fucks with their heads. And um, it's not just a simple matter of uh, they suddenly change their minds and decide they're going to cooperate because they're perfectly rational. Um, more often, what happens is uh if they had a reason to keep shit secret to begin with that reason hasn't gone anywhere and so they made us they may feel like they have to keep shit secret and what happens is it t- tends to take a long time and it's very traumatic on both sides and i play that up for all i'm worth making the the the, the victim in that circumstance look as terrified and as pathetic as i possibly and confused as i possibly can you know make it make it a human interaction and not just a scene out of 24 um that's that's my number one go-to thing and when i tried to i tried to address this issue in the agent's handbook but and i also addressed it in one of the eyes only books when we re, when we repackaged i think it was in uh, it may have been in targets of opportunity but either way you know i've i've written about this issue a couple of times but um but i have a feeling that's another one of those things where the text that i wrote about it either wasn't detailed enough or uh, wasn't presented uh, in your face clearly enough to um, for pe- for it to sink in with people, so that they feel they immediately have a way to approach it at the table. Uh, because yeah, it comes up, and it's and it's it can be hard to deal with if you don't if you don't really have a I don't know if like if you don't have a frame of reference for it or whatever. Um, and and uh, yeah, the fact is most people have not done the reading and the studies that I've done on, on torture, right? And nor should they, it's not all that fun. Um, so yeah, so, but, but that's the way I approach it. And so that would be my first piece of advice 
is remember you're playing human beings, right? And um, but from a more structural standpoint, if the issue is information that the characters need for the adventure to go somewhere, then take a st- take a step back in your head as the game master and look at uh, do they if they need this information, what's going to go wrong if I just give it provide it to them, or if they're trying to get information that I don't want them to have yet then can I give them something else that'll keep them, that'll move them further into the, into the action without giving the whole thing away yet. Um, And, uh, or if they're totally on the wrong track, right. And they're about to spend two hours uh, on an interrogation of a character who's got nothing worthwhile to say to them, then how do I communicate that to the players? You know, and sometimes Sometimes you get a stroke of genius and it occurs to you how you can do that in character. With me, more often, when I get to that point, I'll just say to the players, this is going nowhere. <laughs> you know, at a certain point, I'll, I, I may just tell the players flat out, okay, speaking out of character, I don't mind telling you this is kind of a dead end, guys. So let's move it along. Um, I hate doing that because it takes you out of the action and out of the characters' heads so much. But if that's if that moment of distraction is going to save you a couple of hours of frustration, then it's probably worth it. Yeah, I gotta agree with the whole with the um, flat out telling players that you know maybe they've misinterpreted some fact in the game world or I've communicated it poorly can sometimes be the only way to unlock to unjam that logjam yeah. because a lot of the times it'll come down to um, them sincerely believing something completely different than what's actually happening right. not because they've come to the oh, wrong yeah. conclusion but because i've miscommunicated some information oh yeah and that's really easy to do uh, i mean i've done that you know i've done that recently you know when i was uh when i was playtesting um the uh, the scenario hourglass uh for delta green that came out in the last couple of months um the uh the playtest that I did for that, there's a there there's a character who oh comes I remember up this as, oh yeah yeah it happened there. in yeah. your group yeah yeah and uh, but yeah. it happened in another group as well where where there's a character who's who's sort of the initial point of contact for the crazy right in the scenario and so the the players know they have to investigate this kid and see if he's involved or what he knows. Um, and I wrote the I, you know I wrote the kid as this kid as just a sort of a a throwaway character, right? Um, but <laughs> for what I, you know, I don't know if it's if, if it was the way I played him that piqued people's curiosity, or if they just were feeling paranoid already. But you know, the uh, in two separate play tests, no, three separate play tests, because I play tested it twice at Chupacabra Con. Um, three separate play tests. Every single time, like the group spent maybe an hour an hour and a half focusing entirely on this this dumbass teenager who happens to have a cell phone that was recording yeah that was recording the the video of something horrible happening and um you know and uh and so and in those i didn't like in those cases i didn't take the step of taking the players out of the action and telling them this is going nowhere because my gut was telling me the players were having fun with it and they weren't feeling frustrated. They were just kind of amused themselves by the fact that their um, badass uh, black ops investigators were doing, you know, were spending so much energy tormenting this stupid teenager whose only goal in life is, 
is to be a uh, is to be a, an internet influencer. We were going to offer him and, a movie deal. His family was <laughs> right. swept up in stardom. <laughs> we had exclusive rights to that cell phone footage. We were going to take him for yeah. everything he was worth, which was probably about well, so, I don't know, you know four dollars. Right now, I mean, and th- well, this is a good opportunity. Jake, give us your perspective because you were playing in one of those games where where I had to deal with that. So, what was your perspective as a player on on how all that happened? I think when we were there on the ground level, trying to work our way through that mystery, because it's it's one of those uh, mysteries where you're kind of pulling at threads until something unravels. Um, yeah, that seemed like it was the only thread we had at that time. So sometimes, mm, like mm-hmm. if if you see that the players are like pulling on this one string too hard. You got to offer them some other strings, I think. Right. Yeah. And so in that, to use that, that scenario as an example, because if people get curious, they can find, you know, they can download it or, or order it or whatever. But the, um, so you, you come into it with uh, your, your initial leads are this woman died and you have her information of where she lived and she lived, the place she lived was, pretty obviously sketchy and weird and um and so you have that as a potential course of investigation and then you have the person who recorded the video as a course of investigation and and those are i think those are the two initial threads right and so um, it might have been that the more immediate thing that was right in front of us was the kid it looked like our mm -hmm. best lead so far the other option we had was a woman who wasn't there, the missing person. Mm-hmm. So we could go through like the, bureaucra- the bureaucratic approach of like looking through her tax returns and seeing who she was married to. And all that seemed like more work. We wanted the quick, mm-hmm. the quick thing that was right there in front of us. So from your perspective, do you feel like it would have been better if I had come up with some, some better way of communicating this dumbass kid has nothing to offer you? Um, you mentioned like, pulling us aside out of character and being like, you know, you know, guys, this is going nowhere uh, for the sake of our mm-hmm. playtest. Can we look at a different direction? But you could have uh, instead done it as an in-character approach instead. Mm-hmm. You've talked to lots of innocent people in your line of work as an investigator. This guy genuinely yeah. seems like he does not have any idea what's going on and he's starstruck. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's a good idea. I should have thought of that. I have that sometimes when I'm at Gen Con, there was a, a game I was running where the players immediately became very suspicious of an NPC who was not even written in the scenario. He was just there as a background element. And, you know, right away I'm thinking, oh, this, this is trouble. Um, so I tell them, you have all worked with incompetent people in your life. And this mm-hmm. is one of them. This is not an inside job. This guy just did a bad job. Right. Right. And it's, the same, yeah. it's the same thing. It's, it's a, it's a very yeah. shorthand way to deliver, uh, the message that this guy's not important to the to the to the plot. Yeah, and and I mean that. So and that's kind of cool because to me that that ties into the uh, the player expertise issue, right? As the game master, you can you it, it's you, there are a lot of circumstances where you can fall back on your character knows this, right? Here's what you know. Uh, from your experience and training and education and so forth. It's what the Even human the score is abstracted to for sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it seemed like um, you wanted us to go about things a certain way. Like I think you had an ideal progression in your mind, but you didn't want to railroad us. Yeah. Maybe. Way. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, probably. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you the story about the Amazon locker in one of my scenarios. 
Um, it's a very, so. it was a very simple prompt. Um, Delta Green was running a honeypot operation for people buying unnatural tomes off the internet. Players were given a fake tome and a uh, delivery person's uniform and said, here's the tome, here's the person, here's everything we know about them, figure out what's going on. And they spent, honest to God, like 45 minutes debating the best way to get the package to this person. They were like, oh, you know, <laughs> look at these. Have you seen, have you seen Amazon lockers? We can like bait him out to this Amazon locker and then follow <laughs> him home. And I was like, you guys have his address. And then, then I started like, should we just take it to him? What should we do? And the whole time, like I'm over here behind my computer screen, pulling my fucking hair out, trying to get them just to go forward. <laughs> Because that guy, right. was, it was a dead end. Like he was under the uh, influence of someone else, like uh, doing a mind thing on them. And it was so frustrating for me as a handler. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. We we're just kind of looking for ways to increase, you know, sort of fluidity between players and GMs to keep things moving forward and to keep things fun. Because sometimes, right. like, that's one of the only experiences I've had where I've not had fun running Delta Green. Every other time, it's so much fun to see people, mm-hmm. you know, poke and prod and pull those strings and unravel the threads. When you hit a brick wall like that, it is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any other, like, sort of tips for helping us, like, move things forward when, when it seems like everything is at a standstill? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's, honestly, that's, that feels like the most useful thing is as a game master, if you consciously give yourself permission to tell the players um, that their characters realize something uh, that they're, uh, you know, that you kind of pick up on something or whatever, then that's, that is a really useful tool to bring into play. And you can usually bring that into play in a way that doesn't feel disruptive. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, uh, as, as far as, as far as focusing the players, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't feel like I pay really close attention to that issue. Um, what, what I'm most, what I'm more interested in is the mood at the table. Um, if I pick up on the fact that the players are starting to feel bored or feel frustrated or getting a lot of, or a lot of them are getting really quiet, then that's a cue to pay attention to. Um, but if the players are engaged and they're interested and they're enjoying the challenge in front of them, then um, then uh, then I tend to err on the side of just sort of letting it ride and uh, and letting it letting it play itself out. No, oh, that's uh, that's good advice. Definitely. That's good insight. Maybe I don't know. I mean, that's 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 my approach, right? That that may not work for everybody's everybody's GMing style. Sometimes I just like to take a step back and ask players what they've collected, what they have mm-hmm. so far, because I might have missed something. I might have missed telling them something. Mm-hmm. So that's another. Um, yeah, it's well, I mean, one thing that's really hand- persuade your players to to set in some way, set up a uh, and and be diligent, diligent about maintaining a murder board, you know, with the with where they kind of lay out their their information sources, then um, that can be that can be really useful too. That's, uh, you know, that, I mean, that, that can be a challenge because I think what happens a lot of times is uh, you wind up getting so many disparate pieces of data to put on the, on the board that it becomes a big jumbled mess um, unless you have somebody that's very well organized and can do that well. But that's another tool that you can kind of encourage the players to, uh, you know, here, take this big, 
you know, bring a bring a big piece of poster board paper or something and uh, encourage them to to put it on there. Or if you're online, you know, in 20 or whatever, then make your uh, make one of your uh, make one of your screens uh, a big billboard, <laughs> you know, or uh, or whatever, and a billboard graphic and encourage them to just set up uh, set up notes on it in different places that they can then review and connect the dots. I was going to ask to 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 drastically change change gears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I heard you mention earlier you've been working on on some Traveler. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's been fun. Traveler actually was my game that I'll probably never get a chance to play. Um, oh really? But, uh, <laughs> what can you tell us about that? Uh, well, it's uh, I mean that's one that uh, Jake and Kevin are both playing in right now, so they can probably tell you more from their perspective. I'm running it straight out of the uh, the first edition little black books and uh and and more specifically out of like the first the three core books and then bits and pieces of some of the other books but i'm I'm not really interested in the imperium or in the official setting uh or anything like that i'm i'm i find what i find way more compelling is is using the rules as they were originally written as a way to generate and explore uh an original setting and and kind of piece together the genre that you're running in according to what the rules do well and what they lend themselves towards in com- combination with your personal interests is my personal interest as the as the gm but there was a really there was a fantastic thread a few years ago uh, a series of blog posts that um that somebody wrote about classic i think it was called out of the box it was uh, it wasn't ken heights out of the box from way back when this is a different blog but they um but but the series was was doing exactly this and this is one of the things that inspired me to go back to it and do it was that they they looked they started looking up the original little black books from first edition traveler and they even did comparisons between the 1977 first edition and the 1981 revised first edition and the changes that got made and what those changes did to the rules and the way it played in different in different ways um and i found all of that just just endlessly interesting and fascinating um they this this blog series also did a deep dive if i remember right into the fiction that inspired traveler and into the uh the kinds of science fiction that um that seems to feed that, that well especially that mark miller the author specifically said he was responding to and drawing from um and and it was you know i think the default for people playing traveler usually winds up and it's certainly at least the case with me has always wound up assuming it's going to be either uh you know it, you're either you're playing it as firefly or you're playing it as uh aliens or um or something like that you know something that's kind of grotty and very realistic in the well, setting wasn't the original setting for it a lot closer to like dune where it was all about space feudalism and and not yeah. similar yeah a little bit dune a little bit uh, space western and there was a right, little bit of like right. foundation in it yeah, yeah. All combined with a sort of Age of Sail aesthetic where the only way to pass messages back and forth across interstellar space is for a ship to physically carry them. Right, because you ain't going to yeah. go faster than the fastest ship, which is, you know, even at light speed, you're not getting there within the year. Yeah, he yeah, he built he built some really interesting he built into the rules some some interesting assumptions about the science fiction elements. So one of those was there was nothing was moving faster than light. So your ships when they when they travel between systems, they can 
they can jump, right? You know, sort of new Battlestar Galactica style, but um, but they're not accelerating beyond, you know, to to light speed like that. So, um, which which one of the implications of that is if you send, you know, if you send a communication to someone, it's going to travel at the speed of light because what you're sending is light. And so if you want to send a communication to somebody that's in another parsec, then either it's going to take a few years to reach them or you send it on some kind of a vessel that can do a jump between parsecs and appear and then deliver the message that way, which means that it takes whatever, a week or two for your message to get there at the earliest. Yeah, and that's so, if there happens to be a tramp freighter heading in that direction. Right, right. Yeah. Of course, so, if you're willing to pay the price, if you're willing to pay the premium, there is literally a Space Pony Express. Yeah, in the... Well, uh, in the, ahead, in, in the, in the Yeah, what I was going to say is one of the things that I found interesting was the that, the, that blog that broke all that down uh, observed that a lot of those elements that were very setting specific about the uh, the X-Boat service, for instance, which was which is what you're talking about, Space Pony Express, where there was like this system of ships that their whole purpose was to just jump from one system to another to deliver messages, that that wasn't in the 1977 edition at all. Was it not? Uh, that, no. And, um, and, the, the, and, you know, all of the stuff about the Imperium, uh, the explanations for why you had higher social ranks have noble titles in the setting. None of that was established originally in 1977. Did, in so, the, in sorry, the, did, you, did you mention the name of this, of this series? Uh, I, yeah, I don't remember the... Because this would be, first of all, this would be great to include in the show notes, but I'm also very interested in it now, even having never played this oh, game. Yeah, I love no, those types of dissections. It's, an, it's a brilliant read. Um, and uh, But yeah, that's exactly what inspired me to do this and to take the approach of filing away all of the stuff that kind of accreted to the game and to the setting over the years from the very beginning and stripping it back to what made it originally most compelling. Um, See, now you're doing then, the, the grognard thing of, of oh, yeah, it was better oh, yeah, in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I never played it back in the 70s. So this is kind of a, I mean, you know, I don't, ha I don't have any emotional association with Traveler the way that I do with, uh, with uh, you know, say, basic D&D. Right, because I, I mean, I got Traveler early on. I have the 1981 edition, but I don't think I ever played the game with my buddies. I just got it and read it and thought it was cool. And then that's one that, that's one that I always wanted to play, but never, never actually got around to playing. That idea, though, of the, um, of you know, if if ships are the fastest thing in the universe, then only ships can carry messages. Comes up again and again. Um, I don't know if Traveler was the first, but I was just thinking the other day. Um, I was thinking right now. Um, you guys know that I love to I love to talk about uh, uh, Brigador. In Brigador, there's they have the um, the the SyncNet, which is the BBS system that only works when there's a, a a spaceship in range to carry the message because the ships are faster than light. You can't you know send all your bad posts to to the other guy. So they've got you know like like you know you know how Delta Green for years stuck around on the Yahoo mailing list because mm -hmm. that was just kind of in, there's just kind of that, that inertia around it where people didn't want to switch to like what they I remember specifically someone someone said we do not want to switch to a trendy corporate platform <laughs> right <laughs> but in yeah. this in this case it was something that was enforced by the they call it the tyranny of interstellar distances where mm -hmm. you're you're limited to low bandwidth communication so you use basically it wasn't even IRC chat. It's it's the bulletin board. It's the, kind of the mm -hmm. same thing. So so the Traveler series that I'm talking about, the blog is called Tales to Astound, but cool. it's a uh, T 
tales2astound.wordpress.com. And if you go there and do a search, or in fact, if you go there, one of the links in the header is classic traveler out of the box, and that'll take you to everything. Fabulous. But uh, but that yeah that inspired me to go dig up you know I've 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 uh, ordered a, there were there are these not this novel series written by uh, an author named E C Tubbs who was a you know like golden age author um, he's he's one of these authors that would like write a novel every two weeks like clockwork you know and uh, most of his output I think was uh, was uh, was pot boiler westerns <clears throat> but. Um, but he wrote this series uh, about a character called Dumarest, who was, but this was a science fiction series. And there are tons of elements in that series that were obviously just lifted right out of that series and put onto the page in classic Traveler. Uh, and, th- and that and that by itself has been fascinating, you know, because the series that series is not it's it's the experience of those adventures. You could easily see it as a traveler campaign, but I've never seen it as a traveler campaign. So it's so that's that's really worth reading as well. Well, it's that and that that tradition of RPG is just a stolen version of of the science fiction book. Um, you know, you've got your eclipse phase knocked off, of, knocked straight off of Alton Carbon, Shadow Run knocked straight mm-hmm. off of uh, Neuromancer. Um, that's something that would that would you know that's 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 a proud tradition. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we're you know everybody, we're all borrowing from somebody else. But I it's mean, not, it, no, but not just the borrowing, yeah. but even yeah. using the exact same terminology. And I I love that because sure, yeah. because sometimes you read those books and you think, wouldn't it be really nice if someone had a prepackaged. Uh, you know, someone already done this, so I didn't have to to do all the right, hacking right, myself. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I still do all the hacking because I love hacking games. So, so me running Classic Traveler out of the box, I'm not really running it out of the box. You know, I still go in and tweak with the rules and fix things that I think need fixing that uh, some, you know, somebody else may think are perfectly fine. Well, so this, so obviously you mentioned I'm in this Traveler game, um, and like character creation was one of the funnest um sessions that i've ever had in a, in a role-playing game like a session zero it was awesome mm-hmm. um yeah and for that i back in the day me and my cousin introduced me to, to uh Dungeons the dragons when i was you know a wee little baby i remember seeing the traveler books the black books looked really cool because they were really cool design but it was always like well that's a little advanced for you and that's like you know you know like little little baby kevin couldn't get his head around traveler so it's really great to play now when i <laughs> love sci-fi and i'm into it and it's it's there you know yeah yeah no that's cool it's yeah it's 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 been fun and uh and yeah for the for the character creation that's that's a good example of of hacking things together because i uh you know i i took i took the, the the rules from the first the the characters and combat book book one from the of the little black books and then uh like changed maybe one or two minor things there but then added my favorite bits from a couple of other versions of Traveler that have been done over the years, uh, and then went in and customized those so that they would fit with first edition Traveler, um, which is a lot of work. But uh, but again, that's just, you know, I do that for fun. So uh, I don't recommend it for everyone. Yeah, that procedural generation was just really good. Like finding out about the character as we went along really kind of sold it for me. The career and life path generation character generation system is is I think one of Traveler's strengths, and I've often joked that Traveler Classic Traveler is the only game in which you can die during character generation, and that's 
absolutely true and it's funny and i like it anyway and that's that's uh that strength in procedural design extends as well to the uh, the subsector generation rules, which are, are surprisingly robust considering. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. That well, the and uh, you know, I mean, that, this is sort of as an aside. The the death and character creation uh, aspect of it. it I mean, I mean, it, it it should it should illustrate what a what an insanely powerful thing that was to innovate in 1977, because even in the 1981 edition of the rule books they had changed that and given you the uh you know and 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 explicitly said um have your uh you know have your if you if you want just have it so that your character gets hurt and musters out early right they had already softened that Um, i think it was because they realized that if you die during character creation you can just make another dude so there's no incentive not to just do it over and over again until eventually they call it start scumming and roguelikes Right, it's like taking twenty on a. Well, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the idea exactly. Certainly, I mean, you can do that with any with any any game that require that relies on randomness and character. It's true. Character creation, right? If you want to, if you want to just make up thirty characters until you get the one you want, then you might as well just not bother rolling dice, just pick and choose. But that's kind of up to the individual group, right? To kind of police themselves and figure out where their uh, sweet spot is. I would expect if somebody was trying to game the, uh, the death, if you flub the survival role thing to, to get stupidly uh, competent space veterans with like 50 career terms. If somebody was trying to do that, and just kept rerolling. I would expect at some point, somebody in the group would like slap their hands and like, stop doing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, it has something, it has some things built into the, into the rules even in the those this early version like you can't you can't do more than six terms i think is is the is the hard limit as soon as you you finish your sixth term you're out of the service and playing the game well six Um, terms is what like 30 years anyway oh yeah yeah no that's like you're uh 24 years so you're playing a a hoary old uh whatever 42 year old around then (laughs) right yeah and the aging the aging rules are in brutal oh my god you get to the age like three of us are boomers who went five or six rounds and one person age uh mustered out on like her first roll <laughs> so yeah. it's great yeah she's yeah she her character's 22 years old and uh was a is a you know was like a paramedic or something so she's the yeah. she's a medic but you know but it's fun because she doesn't have like the you know that there are two of the characters that are insanely well skilled in their specialties um and you know and also pretty well rounded because they've been around the block you know but i think she's had a her player seems to be having a a perfectly fun time anyway because what she gets into is kind of what the character is concerned about and interested in more than uh taking all of her pleasure from her character being accomplished at everything that she sets her mind to right so you can have this that that weird mix of uh of characters on a crew and uh if you have the right players then they'll have a good time with it so the one problem i had with the procedural generation for our group was that we have one character who is pretty good at fighting and shooting and then the rest of Mm -hmm. us when it comes time for a fight it is just Mm -hmm. awful we are awful at combat like uh that's why like the last combat we had my guy who's like the world's biggest nerd just runs away because your superpower (laughs) in this game is cowardice Yes, it's true. <laughs> but I was just wondering, um, like, we, we talked about that on our show before, where there's 
Delta Green characters who aren't capable of readily defending themselves. Whereas if you look at like a D&D game, just about every class has combat options for defending themselves. Right. And that's an obstacle yeah. we're really hitting pretty hard in Travelers that the dice spoke and they told us, don't get into fights. And yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to and, some extent, yeah. And yet, there we go, getting into a fight every session for some reason. Right. Just, just remember, your spaceship is a weapon. You have to land the spaceship sometimes, Will. Oh, that's right. They're not fusion drives, are they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah never mind. Uh, Niven's law doesn't apply here. Right. Right. Yeah. Which reminds me of another one that I had fun playing in the in the ancient days of yore that uh, that I would love to give another shot to, which is uh, Ring World, based on Larry Niven's books. There's a Ring World RPG? Oh, yeah. Chaosium did one in uh, 83, I think it was. 83, 84. You're and, sick. I'm uh, going gonna, gonna to be a puppeteer because if you think Jake is good at yeah. fucking running away, then you haven't seen nothing right. yet. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. yeah. An entire species bred for cowardice. I got to look exactly. into that because, I mean, there's a whole whack of stuff you could do in the known space setting. Oh, yeah. No, I love those stories. And the, uh, the, uh, the uh, yeah, the game... Um, <sighs> I mean, this is another one of those. I mean, there's a million games where I look at it and I think, oh, if only they had done this and this, this thing would have been a million times better. So um, it was really deeply researched, but I feel like they didn't do a great job of making it playable by by making it easy for the game master to piece adventure elements together in a way that you rather reflects Niven's body of work then. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. The uh, <laughs> it doesn't, I, I don't know. That's not how it felt to me, you know. Uh, because, like I said, I like I like Niven's uh, Niven's stories. I, I like Niven's I stories too, but they're all big dumb object stories. He's not he's not big. Yeah. characters. <laughs> that, that's that's well, that's, that's a big talk yeah. from you, Mister Rama, is the greatest PCR uh, adventure game ever created. I will stand by that. That's a great game. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so uh, so Ring I mean, Chaosium published it. Uh, they published Ringworld, and they published uh, a book called the Ringworld Companion. And then they didn't renew the license, or they lost the license, or whatever. But they never published it again. So wait, so, is this is this BRP? Yeah, yeah, it's BRP. So based. so technically, we could use some of those assets. You could work them just slightly, and they'd be usable until it's green almost. Then oh sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah easily, yeah. Um, yeah. So the uh, but yeah, I mean, so the only way you're going to find it is if you find it pirated on some PDF, you know, pirate website, uh, which in most cases I I frown upon for prof- professional reasons. I think I put a TASP in a Delta Green scenario once. I think oh you yeah, did. yeah, you did. That's right. <laughs> I don't remember what specifically, but I remember this line that I said. It was in uh, uh, Zircon. Right. Uh, I, I gave the Shan one because they said they, that they have two ways to control humans. One is the neural whip, and the other is the TASP. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Either one of which, you know, ought to, if you're playing, if you're GMing it right, ought to be catastrophic. Um, but yeah, yeah. The task was, uh, was, a was a, a, like a device that you turn it on and it activates the pleasure center in the brain. So it's just pure, po- pure concentrated dopamine manufacturing itself as fast as it can and sinks you into instant, you know, like an orgasm to the yeah. nth degree. And not only is it filters. crippling, it's violently addictive as well. And yeah. Will, what, do, oh, what, yeah. do, what, do they, what do they call it when you shoot someone with the TASP? It's, uh, it's, you've, you've made their day. <laughs> yeah. thing I liked about uh, the known space books is, is that Niven had developed this this lexicon of spacer slang and idioms is is great. Yeah, a lot of that was fun. I mean, you know, again, just a word of as always, word of warning because he was writing in the sixties and seventies was what sort of his his real heyday. So um, 
you know, so you've got a you've got a good bit of sexist stuff going on in there. Uh, as much as I love the book Ringworld, it's it's kind of I reread it recently and it's a little cringy every time. Yeah, I think I know the bits characters. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I read it for the first time this year actually, and I didn't read it. Um, I got the audio book so I could listen to it while I was at work. Um, yeah, yeah, there were some things that were really cringy uh, to yeah. me. It felt like Niven's characters had sex a lot. I don't know what was up with that. It just seemed like every every other scene. That's what goes. That's what goes on in the future. I think it's because people back then were living during um, during uh, like sixties, seventies. Like yeah, and so they they thought this social trend is going to continue forever. This is this is going to be a, a continuous line because everyone thinks that whatever social trend that's happening during their time is going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, really grim that's... about the time that we're in right now. Then fuck. <laughs> All we have to do is die <laughs> off, and then it might have well. Escaped. Oh no! Now Shane's going to be problem of consciousness posting. I didn't realize <laughs> that we were talking to Shane Ivy, deep ecologist. <laughs> uh, contain multitudes. Um, yeah, I, I never, I never got in, got into Traveler. Um, it was one of those things that I kind of have this thing where I mentally write things off when I really shouldn't. Like I've told the story before about how I, I refused to even look at Delta green for about 10 years because I thought it was like the bad parts of the <laughs> X-Files. But then I realized oh, okay. when will, when will, will basically bludgeon me into, into trying it. And I was like, Oh, it's actually like the good parts of the X-Files. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good job. Will. Hey. Well, I mean, so that will's either created a large problem or created a large solution here. We, when the jury is still out, <laughs> it, oh, history will judge me. Listen, you will be remembered more for kindliness than for wisdom, and your face will shine down through the corridors of time for as long as humans exist. Nice. <laughs> Call Wahad. Now, the, the appropriate response there was C.A. Knock, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I get them. Well, in, in any case, um, uh, Lido the Second, the younger posting, is a good place to wrap up, I think. Yeah. Yeah, any, uh, any parting shots or anything you want to get out there for the record book? Oh. Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, we're, uh, we're, uh, if, if, if people are listening and wanting to know where the hell the print edition of the labyrinth is, it's, it's, uh, at the printer and should be on the, on the boat. So actually I have a FedEx package that came today and they put a note on my door saying they couldn't reach us even though we were here. So Uh, yeah, that's that's classic FedEx. At least they left a note. So, uh, so I just eat that package from my patio <laughs> and hook it back to their car. You know, honestly, I'm happy. I'd be happy to left it on the damn porch because, you know, we don't have any neighbors. So I'm not afraid of any. But anyway, uh, but we have that. We have that uh, at the printer. And so it ought to be on the, on the slow boat in the next couple of weeks. Thank goodness. And, uh, you know, WrestleNomicon is at its printer as well. So we're kind of going back and forth with them on, on, uh, on just different tweaks and getting shit right um which is more complex because it's a card game so it has a lot more a lot um, of moving pieces moving yeah a lot more elements that you have to get right in different ways than than a book and uh yeah and then beyond that like i said we've got uh, landscapes is imminent uh jack frost is uh the revision is imminent i've had to go about going Jake's been trying to track that one down for a long ass time. I remember this. Yeah, I yeah. remember you sent me the HTML files about a year ago, and I had to Google oh, how yeah. to open those because I was, you know, not, not familiar with <laughs> that format. Open HTML yeah, files with yeah, your was, browser. Yeah, it was probably right. it, it went to ancient. Internet Explorer, and I was like, "What?" Like the oh, default see, program yeah. for opening it, and I was like, "No, no, no, this can't be right." 
Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't help you with your Windows settings. That's, <laughs> that's a Windows issue. But but, um, but yeah, no. I mean, I, I've kind of gone in and I don't know. That like I said, that was when I, I wrote it twenty years ago, and um, and there's a lot that it needed to get that needed to get done to that to make it good. So uh, so I've essentially been rewriting it almost. I mean, it would, it, this is one of those adventures. The amount of work I'm putting into editing it, I probably could have just done it, done something original from scratch, and saved myself a lot of time and trouble. But that's where I am. So, so that's uh, but that's getting close. And uh, and uh, yeah, and then the other big things are like Deep State, which is you know it's sort of on perpetual hold until I wrap up a couple, the the other couple of things for the Big Delta Green Kickstarter um, before I really sink my time into the research involved in that. And part of that is just procrastination on my part because Deep State's going to involve you're going to have to involve immersing myself in a lot of uh, of uh, um, contemporary government <clears throat> issues that are just going to uh, amplify my uh, anxiety and stress levels. So um, I'll, t- I'll say this. Um, I think that the March tech that we were teased when we interviewed Gunning is probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most in Delta Green. Yeah. Right yeah. That, and that'll be probably deep state. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I do have, I do have Chris on the line to, to pick up the slack on that. And he's offered many times. So sooner or later, I'm probably just going to throw my hands up and say, you know what? You write this shit. <laughs> and, and then I'll go in and edit it. Well, but, I guess uh, we'll know if you if you start releasing more swords and sorcery and less deep state, we'll know why. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, fourth Dungeons and Dragons thing chance put out this this year. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those things basically just need to earn their keep, and then I'll then I'll start releasing more of them. Um, so you know, they uh, once once they once the the three that either the three that are out uh, once once they start hitting you know gold because they've sold enough units on drive through. Or uh, or we run some kind of a Kickstarter for uh, paying the bills for the ones to come. Then I'll do more. So but, you heard uh, your folks buy those immediately. Exactly. Yeah. If if they sound interesting, then you know, spend your money on them. That's how you make things happen. But yeah. So those are the those are the those are the main things. You know. And we're on Patreon, of course. Too, of course. I have mine, and uh, Dennis has his, and we. You know, we do different kinds of Delta Green and other things there. I've done, I, I, I do, I have sort of a scattershot, whatever piques my interest approach to my Patreon. So uh, I've done a, a few Delta Green things and previews and original bits and pieces, rules things. Um, I guess I think that's, that's kind of the, those are the big ticket uh, I think. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure to chat. Yeah, it's been great having you, Shane. Thanks a lot. And uh, I know our listeners are going to enjoy it, so. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Thanks a lot, Thanks guys. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>